Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. friends and welcome to this another episode of the roto world football podcast my name is josh norris thank you for being here for our game by game recap show we'll review every single fantasy relevant player from a wild and crazy week 11 yes a week of football that had a handful of spot start quarterbacks a handful of quarterbacks enter games unexpectedly due to injury or others underperforming I believe a handful of road teams in the four o'clock slate covered their spreads and a few rematches from last year's playoffs as well. Before we get going, I do want to quickly remind you about our schedule this week. Typical Tuesday morning waiver podcast with John Daigle, 20 minutes. Then on Wednesday, we'll have the three-game Thanksgiving slate preview. Then on Thursday evening or Friday, we'll be back with our game-by-game preview show. 16 games next week, and we'll have them all covered. All right, let's get started. The New Orleans Saints with Taysom Hill at the helm beat the Atlanta Falcons 24 to 9. That brings the Saints to 8 and 2 on the season. John Daigle, let's talk about Taysom Hill. 18 of 23, 233 yards. He was also the team's leading rusher, 51 yards and 10 attempts on the ground, two rushing touchdowns. Kind of felt like early, and correct me if I'm wrong. They want to establish him more as a passer than like a design runner and But so much of his rushing production came from off-script runs, which, as we know, are the best kinds of runs for quarterbacks. They used him like Drew Brees, which is Mm. not what any of us expected at all. Two carries in the first half, 9.9 yards per attempt. And honestly, he played like rookie Josh Allen, a competent quarterback who made a lot of mistakes, but at the end of the day was honestly a playmaker. And I did not expect that whatsoever. But he breathed life into an offense that previously had depended on catching the ball at the line of scrimmage from Drew Brees' arm and turning up field for big gains. But Taysom Hill was not afraid to go downfield or everywhere else. First play right off the bat, got Michael Thomas going for a quick eight-yard gain. But of course, that was establishing a rapport with him. And Thomas ended up finishing with a season-high 52% target share because that's practically all Taysom Hill was looking for. But we still hit the full range and spectrum of emotions throughout this game. We had a scramble for a touchdown. We had fourth and two, fourth and goal that Sean Payton called up a 
fake pass and then a, a quarterback run essentially. So yep. he got that going for him as well. He had a big 45 yard game, which the deep ball was one of the ugliest ones you'll see all year long, but Emmanuel Sanders simply undercut the cornerback literally stopped mid route and no one was around because they thought the ball would still flail. No, it was a lawn dart. It wasn't a dart. It was literally a lawn dart that just fell into his lap and he ended up coming down with it. Also had a 57-yard touchdown pass to Emmanuel Sanders, negated. So perhaps that counts in another game. Um, and then a lost fumble after a 24-yard scramble. Literally, rookie Josh Allen game. We saw everything in this one. Teets and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Look, the discourse around Taysom Hill for years, it's been difficult, right? Like, I, I don't know if we could firmly say anything other than evaluate the role that he had been in, which was mainly in the red zone as a playmaker, as you know, one-off playmaker that obviously Sean Payton has loved and has talked glowingly about to TV broadcasters. And it, it annoyed people. I think, Dago, it really annoyed people. I can also say that this year, those Taysom Hill packages like really hadn't worked. It probably would have been better off if Drew Brees was in those situations because he was fumbling opportunities or not making the opportunities he had. But I think we can firmly say now, Daigle, that the Taysom Hill experience – one game through it is positive and he keeps everyone relevant. As you mentioned, Michael Thomas, 12 targets, nine receptions, 104 yards, Emmanuel Sanders, 66 yards, Alvin Kamara, 45 yards on the ground, a score on the ground and just 13 carries. So maybe this does because of the design quarterback runs, potentially limit some Alvin Kamara carries along the way. You say it keeps everyone relevant, but the talking point out of this one will be that this was the first time in Kamara's 54 career games he didn't record a single catch. He had one target mm -hmm. in the entire game, and it was a failed screen pass. Didn't even get an opportunity to catch the ball. Having said that, there were a couple series, including the very first one of the game, that he wasn't in on at all. And remember, he missed Wednesdays and Thursdays practice. So I do wonder if he was a little banged up. So for season long, you still got to see this through, of course, because of his talent, with, even with Taysom Hill under center. But then for DFS, maybe even a bounce back next week if everyone just thinks this is the way his target share will go. And maybe it is the way it will go. But it's again, it's only one game for one of the most talented players in the league. This is why you're here, and I don't do the podcast solo, Daigle. Uh, by the way, Latavius Murray had 14 opportunities today, 14 touches. Was that, do we think, because Kamara 
had those injuries during the week, as you discussed. And I mean, the Falcons didn't score a single point in the second half. So the game was over. I think so. But he also had four gains, three gains of 10 plus yards. He was an explosive player today. I think it also has a lot to do with the Falcons defense, honestly, who uh, did a poor job of covering anyone in this one. Having said that, we talked about this in the preview show. The reason why we wanted to pick up Jameis Winston, who was supposed to start at the time, was because (laughs) of the Saints' upcoming schedule. Uh, They get the Broncos, who I know schemed up a terrific game plan today against the Dolphins and got Tua benched. But again, like Taysom Hill presents a different kind of threat than Tua does. And then, of course, they see the Falcons again in two weeks. So their upcoming schedule isn't really a concern. Let's now look at those Falcons. Uh, Matt Ryan, 19-37, two interceptions. He was awful. Took eight sacks. I mean, the Saints defense is really coming into form. But, Dago, a major part of this is, yes, we got the return of Calvin Ridley, nine targets, five receptions, 90 yards. But Julio Jones, I think from about the two-minute warning to the rest of the game, from the end of the first half to the rest of the game, was absent for stretches. And we have seen – This Falcons offense can operate without Calvin Ridley, but it can't operate without Julio Jones. And that was a big part of the problem. Calvin Ridley opened the game with a 46-yard gain and single coverage against Jordan Orris Jenkins. Julio Jones was still on the field at that time. But from that point forward, really, the, the Falcons couldn't get anything going. So a lot of it was to be attributed to Julio Jones' absence. Having said that, I don't want to take away from the credit we should be giving the Saints front seven because they absolutely dominated this game. Lived in the backfield, lived in Ryan's pockets throughout regulation. Eight sacks, consistently under duress the entire game. Uh, One of his picks, of course, was a Hail Mary intercepted and to end the first half so it doesn't really count but the other one was just clear good play and remember they did this without Marshawn Lattimore today so just an overall dominance which makes three games in a row now that the Saints defense has had the light switch on and absolutely dominated you know my bus column posts on Wednesdays day and I get a lot wrong throughout the season went four for four today though and one of those was Todd Gurley because I was expecting touchdown regression to hit because I think he had nine touchdowns and nine games played. And that was up there with the likes of Dalvin cook and Alvin Kamara. And, you know, so much of his, you know, point totals this year was based on that rushing touchdown percentage. And he's just not being used in the passing game, just one catch today for three yards. And, you know, that has fallen off a cliff. That production has fallen off a cliff in the last two years. This was the worst performance of the season, just eight carries for 26 yards. I'm assuming once again, it was just the Saints defense up front, just absolutely dominating. Had didn't even have a chance to get anything going, honestly. So you can just throw this one out the window. Having said that, we saw, as you mentioned, that not even Matt Ryan could survive without Julio. It was only Calvin Ridley who survived as a wide receiver one uh, with a target share over 30% and a majority of the team's air yards in those three games Julio missed and or was limited for. Whereas Ryan in those three games finishes the QB 23, QB 27, and QB 26. So if Julio doesn't play coming up, you get off Ryan completely, even if you had yeah. stashed him for the fantasy playoffs, and you only play Ridley. Don't get cute with Gurley or Gage. The rest doesn't matter. Let's go to the other game that you had. That is the Dallas Cowboys beating the Minnesota Vikings. Yes, beating the Minnesota Vikings 31-28 to on the road as well. John Table, mm-hmm. correct? Correct. Correct, yes. Andy Dalton, 22 of 32, 203 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. Ezekiel Elliott. Back in our lives, 21 carries, 103 yards to go along with two catches and a touchdown off of that. What made the Cowboys offense work? 
the Vikings defense. Uh, honestly, they shifted Zach Martin to a right tackle, which had been their biggest problem. Even sent the rookie Tyler, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so I'm just not even going to try it, uh, to IR midweek. So we just assumed that their offensive line would again collapse, but that wasn't the case. Dalton played like a viable backup, like one of the better backups in the league. And that's more than we can say about his start and a half previously. Leaned on everyone in this game. That's why that's what the targets show and the box score as well. Still looked most confident throwing to Amari Cooper, but they came out the Cowboys of their bye with more of a concerted game plan for CeeDee Lamb. Uh, every time you look up, making a splash play, whether it be a punt return, whether it be a catch of the year contender in one-on-one coverage against rookie Jeff Gladney as he was falling backwards lamb um, still corralled it basically with one hand and brought it in for his touchdown and then also those two rushes you see weren't special screen plays like they were actually sweeps so they actually were trying to get him the ball whereas they also continue using Michael Gallup like they use him for deep shots and he should have had one he dropped one that was a little underthrown but he would normally make those types of catches I believe the name you were searching for was Tyler Biotish. Biotish, yes, Biotish. Yeah, something yes. like that. Um, and Amari Cooper, seven targets, six receptions, 81 yards on CeeDee Lamb. You mentioned 34 yards and a score. Yeah, Michael Gallup is – not everyone's going to hit anymore without Dak. I think it's that simple. And Michael Gallup was that today. Five targets, two receptions, and 29 yards. I'm looking over here on Minnesota's side, and you just mentioned it. Minnesota's secondary, the defense has been definitely up and down the season. But the same can be said for Dallas. Their defense is not that good either. And Kirk Cousins, in a losing effort, still put up massive points. 22 of 30, 314, three touchdowns. And the two pass catchers that you expected to get there got there. Adam Thielen, 11 targets, eight receptions, 123 yards and two scores. And the rookie himself, Justin Jefferson, three catches, 86 yards and a score. Only seven points for the Vikings in the first half due to boneheaded mistakes. Two coughed up fumbles, six penalties that negated a fourth down gain, a fake punt as well. So just lots of bad decisions that resulted in not many opportunities in the first half, which then let them come out and basically march down the field on a defense that was getting pressure, but also did not have Trayvon Diggs, who is far and away the best corner this team can even offer. Makes a ton of mistakes, I know, but they have no one of the talent and caliber as he uh, in the secondary Mm -hmm. so Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson practically just ran wild Uh, Thielen had a big 51 yard gain on play action Thielen also as we've seen all year now was looked to in the red zone another game by the way where Jefferson didn't get a single red zone target and now dating back to week three whenever they inserted Jefferson into the starting lineup as a boundary wideout Thielen has uh, 10 more red zone targets to Jefferson's one and 10 more end zone targets to Jefferson's one. It's clear what they want to do. Almost Devonte Adams, like with Adam Thielen, they get inside the 10. They're either handing it off to Dalvin cook or they're yeah. trying to get Thielen one-on-one. And quite frankly, he's been winning those situations. He's living off of touchdowns pretty much. I know, but still those touchdowns seem to be a concerted effort to get him involved in that area. So it's working and it's great for fantasy so far. I don't know if you have a comment after this, but Dalvin Cook, again, in a losing effort, just put up more massive totals. 27 carries, 115 yards and a score in the air. Another five catches for 45 yards. Look, I'm not going to say that he's matchup proof, but is Dalvin Cook matchup proof? He's matchup proof, yeah. Okay. Even the Bears, I understand the production may have not gotten there, but he still got 30-plus touches, which makes – 
three of his last four games since he came back from injury having 30 plus touches. I saw a few of the the beef riders, like the beat riders, the beef riders. <laughs> that, like they go, you're the one that has the beef with the riders. Let's put uh, it <laughs> like, uh, uh, oh yeah. How did uh, the Naheem Hines lead back go by the <laughs> it's way? Later in the show. It's oh, sorry. Sorry. Show. <laughs> uh, like Arif Hassan, for instance, uh, like made a big deal, like laughed whenever Alexander Madison got a touch on Twitter. He was like, oh, wow, Madison touch, because that's been the usage change for Dalvin Cook. They just don't even try to get Abdullah, Cook, Boone, and Bob. This is strictly Cook's backfield and no one else's. So continue leaning on him. Also, a 1,000 yards despite those missed games right now over the oh. season. Also, 13 rushing touchdowns. So he's a monster. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. The Indianapolis Colts improved to 7-3 and three on the season, beating the Green Bay Packers 34-31. to 31. Hayden Winks got to watch this game. Hayden, oh, Phillip Rivers, 24-36, 288, three touchdowns, one interception. Looked like Old Man Rivers out there got hobbled towards the end of the game, but he found his new favorite receiver, your boy, Michael Pittman. Three targets, three receptions, 66 yards and a touchdown, 45-yard Long reception. I'm also looking down the box score right now. It looks, and I'm not exaggerating, like 12 people caught passes today from Phillip Rivers. Is this just the Colts offense as it is, as it exists at the moment? Yeah, they have three tight ends, three running backs. They are like rotating like four or five receivers in. And yeah, this is the way Phillip Rivers kind of distributes the ball evenly. We've seen him check down to running backs over the course of his career. We've seen him target tight ends over the course of his career. And I think for the first time this season, a, a number one wide receiver starting to emerge and Michael Pittman. Now I think the targets will not be there as like an every week wide receiver three, but he's showing plenty after the catch and he's a big physical guy that I think eventually could win in the red zone. His touchdown today was a long run over the middle and we saw last week he did have the volume. So I think you want to be betting on rookie receivers in the second half of the year. I think Michael Pittman has shown more than enough to have some faith in him and his at least his fantasy prospects down the stretch as like a plug-and-play wide receiver four, kind of depending on the matchup. T.Y. Hilton led the team in targets 
but only took six targets for three receptions and 36 yards. I do want to ask about these running backs. Let's first start with last week's superstar in Naeem Hines, who today, four targets, three receptions, 31 yards, despite reports heading into the game, just six carries for two yards. Um, This is an impossible backfield to predict, but what was Naeem Hines' usage like today? Yes, yeah, so it's basically Naeem Hines is the favorite for passing down work, and I don't think that's going to change. And what happens is in the first quarter, they give the ball to all three running backs. Whoever found the lane early gets the ball for the second half of the game. And Jonathan Taylor was the one that broke off a couple of decent runs here and then kind of remained the lead back for most of the game. He ended up finishing with 22 touches. This is probably his best game since leaving Wisconsin. He had a couple like big runs early in the season, but he was on a really big slump in the middle section of the of the year. So I think Jonathan Taylor, if I was going to be ranking them the rest of the season, it would be, I think, Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, like as like RB2 threes, kind of depending on the matchup, depending on the game script. And then Jordan Wilkins behind that. Um, Jonathan Taylor, it, this wasn't like some like superstar game, though. Yeah. Like, he had like a couple big runs. Um, he almost found the end zone. And I mean, he got 22 touches. That was like the, the highlight of his game. I didn't, I didn't see like a true difference maker here, but this was like the first sign of somebody that you can throw into your flex spot was, was today. Yeah. 90 yards on those 22 carries. He did have like a 20 ish yard touchdown run called back because Zach Pascal literally tackled someone <laughs> at the line of scrimmage blocking form. And the touchdown probably wouldn't have happened without yeah. that holding penalty. Um, all right. Over on the Packers end of things, I'm looking at the quarter by quarter scoring Hayden they were up 28 to 14 at halftime, only three points in the second half. Uh, look, Aaron Rodgers in the day, three touchdown passes, 311 yards on 38 attempts. Devontae Adams, just absolute balling still, eight targets, seven receptions, 106 yards, and a touchdown score. Why? I mean, so much action in the first half. What failed off? What tailed off? What, why couldn't they sustain this? Yeah, I mean, there was a like a, a couple of fumbles late. There was some penalties. It was just they weren't like fully on the same page. And I think Aaron Rodgers still looked really good, especially the last drive. So once the Colts took the lead late, the Packers had to go push the game into overtime, and they were way backed up with like a minute forty five left, and they did not have all of their timeouts. And Aaron Rodgers threw this beautiful high arcing pass down the middle of the field to Marcus Valdez Scanley for a huge gain, ended up setting the game into overtime. So I think the the Packers offense still looks pretty good here. Like Devonte Adams had an excellent day facing a good Colts defense. Aaron Jones had a pretty good, good day despite mixing in with Jamal Williams against a really good Colts run defense as well. So, um, I mean, they still scored 31 points. So I, they, it was pretty hit and miss and you don't like to see the second half them go into a slump. You don't like them seeing a turnover in, in overtime either, but at the end of the day, they scored 31 points against one of the better units in the league. MVS has been outstanding the last two weeks. I think he put up 38 fancy points in the last two games combined. Today, he was the team's second leading receiver. Six targets, three receptions, 55 yards. I kind of thought his day might be capped because of Alan Lazard's return, right? Four targets, two receptions, just 18 yards for Alan Lazard. But I, I might say the one who surprised was Robert Tunyon once again emerging because we saw him earlier in the season when Devontae Adams was out, be more of a focal point of this offense. He seemed to be one again today, five targets, five receptions, 44 yards and a score. He seems to have Aaron Rodgers trust. 
Yeah, so his splits on and off with Devontae Adams, like you said, are major. Like he went from like a borderline like top 10 option with Devontae Adams sideline to somebody that you can like barely trust, like a touchdown dependent tight end too. I think what you're going to see is Alan Lazard, Robert Tunyon, and, and MVS are going to be rotating kind of like boom days um, as like low volume guys behind Devontae Adams. I mean, Devontae Adams is going to see eight to 14 touches like every single week. Yeah. And if the Packers jump out early and, or, or Aaron Jones is cooking himself, there's not enough room for these other guys to get very involved. Marcus Valdez-Scanley was like living on like deep catches, which are great. You can expect those to be completed from Aaron Rodgers. But like week to week, Alan Lazard, MVS, Robert Tunyon, kind of probably going to be trading off booms and busts. You kind of feel for MVS, man. Like through the first few years of his career, he would have these awesome moments where people, you know, grab onto them and say, oh, there's there's something there worth working with. And I mean, that, that's been the case the last two weeks. And then he goes out today, has a game-ending fumble, basically. Like, just gives the Colts field goal pr- position to to cap off the game um, after, you know, being an important part of this offense. So. I, I, will say, I will say with MVS, they're asking him to make big plays. And that's yeah. where you see some of, the, some of these mistakes. Like, a deep target where he's, like, trying to make a catch over his shoulder and he end up, ends up dropping that, he gets crushed for that. He's trying to make a, a first down play and he gets the ball poked out and he fumbles. Like these are mistakes, but like the way he's being asked to win are like the toughest uh, parts of football and like bad things happen. I think MBS is a fine player for the role he's in. I think he's max like a deep threat, but that's like what the Packers need right now. I think he's doing okay with that. Let's now go to, to the other game that you had the Houston Texans beating the new England Patriots 27 to 20. That improves Houston to three and seven and the Patriots are four and six now. Hayden, I believe you and I on the preview show talked about a potential Deshaun Watson ceiling spot. Now, we got close to it. We got pretty close to it. 28 to 37, 344 yards, two touchdowns in the air, another 36 yards and a touchdown on the ground. He was obviously the leading passer. He was also the leading rusher. How do you do it against this Patriots defense? The Patriots defense broken. I think they're too slow. They're kind of injured. I mean, they had all these opt-outs. And they're just getting older, and they don't have any pass rush. And what happened here with the Texans is Deshaun Watson had all day back there, and that was without Larry uh, Larry Tunsil, who's the Texans' best offensive lineman, the left tackle by far. And Deshaun Watson was just back there. He was always creating time. That's what Deshaun Watson – he might be, like, one of the better players or maybe the best quarterback at, like, creating time in the pocket or kind of getting outside of the pocket to make plays and was thrown downfield. He was distributing the ball to a bunch of – uh, receivers again and that's where you saw some like okay box scores no one had a huge day but he got like eight guys involved including multiple tight ends multiple run uh wide receivers and was getting nothing from the running game hmm. yeah three tight ends caught passes and three tight ends had over 20 yards uh the touchdown passes went to kiki cutie and randall cobb which helps absolutely nobody but brandon cooks did have 85 yards and five targets while fuller 80 yards on eight targets I need to ask about Duke Johnson because David Johnson is still on injury reserve, I think, for at least one more week. Duke Johnson, 10 carries, 15 yards. Duke Johnson, five targets, 20 yards. It's just not happening? I think the sample size is big enough that we have to like really lower expectations. Like is it, He's just not it. I think that the volume will kind of stay in this zone where like he's still like an RB2-3 if you're like looking for a spot. But the Texans with Deshaun Watson right now, I don't know why they would just 
they should just throw the ball all the time. Like he's so good. Brandon Cooks has been really good since Bill O'Brien got fired. Will Fuller's remained healthy and has been a stud all season long. I think that they should just keep using those guys. I think the other notes, we talked about David Johnson being injured. Randall Cobb got injured. He hurt his foot. It sounds like it's going to be at least somewhat significant. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kenny Stills also left. So I think Kiki Kuti is going to end up being the number three receiver. I don't think that you should be starting them in a normal size league. But I do think that means Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller are even going to be more relied on as like the easily the number one and number two targets. Let's end on this Patriots offense. Uh, we know that the offense rolls through Cam Newton and Damian Harris right now. Uh, Cam, 40 attempts. Yeah, 40 attempts in the air, 30, 365 passing yards and a touchdown. Barely any running production. Why? Yeah, that was pretty surprising. I think it was just because they were trailing and they were just kind of being a little cognizant of the clock. And I think the, the passing game was – pretty much working instead of running the ball with like QB powers, which is what I was expecting. I think most people were expecting that the text or the, the pages were kind of taking advantage of the linebackers in like the screen game. I mean, James white was used on screens all the time. They got receivers involved with screens and that was working. Like it, the passing game was not at fault here. They kind of got um, like a little unlucky in some situations. They weren't like fully uh, capping off uh, drives for touchdowns. But the screen game was working. The underneath game was working. And then out of nowhere, Demir Bird sets a career high with 132 receiving yards. Uh, the highlight of the day for, for Cam Newton was this like 42-yard strike. Uh, Demir Bird made probably one of his best catches his entire career, like over the shoulder, like an insane grab in traffic for a touchdown. Um, but yeah, I, I would say the storyline here, if any, was Jacoby Myers only saw three targets. Yeah. Uh, and Nikhil Harry, Nikhil Harry saw eight. Demir Bird saw seven. James White saw nine. I mean, only seeing three targets when Cam Newton drops back 40 times is was at least troubling. So I don't know what to do with Jacoby Myers moving forward. I think you have to have like a leap of faith to start him. But the good news is they play the Cardinals next week. So hmm. if you're going to start someone like Jacoby Myers, who you're like one foot in, one foot out, at least you're playing like an up-tempo offense. Yeah, we had at least 10 questions about Jacoby Myers on Roto World Live on Sunday morning, just start sets. And he was being mentioned among the likes of like Will Fuller and others. And, you know, our, our conversation kept going back to, well, at least in, you know, recent history in the short term, he was absolutely dominating the target share. But I, I think while we believe that Jacoby Myers is a nice role player, you know, he, he certainly isn't going to command Devontae Adams target shares for the team moving forward. And he's certainly not on that talent level. So I don't think it's a total surprise that we see, you know, just depending on who the opponent is and and the game by game, more of a small, maybe a small sample size. It was for Jacoby Myers rather than him being the firm wide receiver one in this offense. Yeah. I think today you have to move him down to like flex territory. I I would still put all my chips in as him being the leading receiver down the stretch for the Patriots, but it's a very boom bust passing offense. And we have to, at least mentioned Rex Burkhead likely tore his ACL. And if he didn't tear his ACL, he's going to be missing weeks. He was carted off here. That makes Sony Michelle now the number two back mm-hmm. behind Damian Harris. Um, and I think that actually helps probably James White more because Rex Burkhead was also stealing some snaps in the passing game. And that's going to be James White's role only because they, they haven't used Damian Harris on third downs like at all the entire season. They made Sony Michelle in that role, the exact same role. So I think James White's floor and ceiling is a little bit elevated if Rex Burkhead's out for the year. 
The Tennessee Titans improved to 7-3, and three, beating the Baltimore Ravens 30-24, dropping the Ravens to 6-4 and four on the season. Patrick Doherty, as always, assigned this game to himself. Pat, <laughs> one, there was a lot of tension heading into it. Something about like meeting at the logo at midfield, Titans players shouting at John Harbaugh, like whatever. These are adults. Anyways, what I found fascinating, Pat, I did was that the Ravens were up 14 to 10 at halftime, 21 to 13 at the end of the third quarter. These are game scripts where the Ravens absolutely want to be in ones that they should win these contests. Yet the Titans, like they were able to do earlier in the season behind Ryan Tannehill, were able to claw back and snatch victory. How? It's probably honestly more about the uh, the Ravens than the Titans. Not that it was not mm. about the Titans. Um, and, and the Ravens, it's, it's weird because they actually got a few of the things going today that they wanted to. They finally, as you may have heard, established a backfield pecking order. Uh, J.K. Dobbins dramatically outsnapped and outtouched uh, Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram. He outtouched them combined seventeen to five. So mm. they finally, I thought, like. Priority number one for them had to at least be to cut down this backfield. I mean, I'm just you know a very novice football observer compared to people that run these football teams, but it just seemed like you know it just wasn't working. Like there's something to be said to letting your guys get into rhythm and like knowing they have a role and like what their job is, and that's we're not doing that. They accomplished that today. Well, they hit a big play finally to Mark Andrews. Finally scored a long touchdown on a great throw from Lamar Jackson, but. It was just still so – the Titans played well, obviously. Ryan Tannehill played poorly in the first half. Mm. The really bad interception, like in the face of pressure, he didn't see Tyus Bowser dropping back, threw the ball right to him. Entered halftime with very bad discounting stats, very bad eye test, everything. He got in rhythm in the second half, but the real story – the Ra- this game was there for the taking for the Ravens because they, they held down the Titans in the first half. But Lamar Jackson, again, they just like left too much meat on the bone again. Yeah. He, missed like almost a 40-yard touchdown to Marquise Brown. He missed another touchdown to Mark Andrews, despite the one he hit him for. And just just wasn't – it wasn't like off the rails. It just wasn't good enough. So here's my read. As I think you're trying to say is the Ravens just couldn't close. Like they couldn't drop the hammer on no. the end. And they're typically the team that is the hammer that last year closed out ball games like this all the time. And I think also on, on the Titans side of things, Pat, they just got some – incredible individual efforts like the stat line might not be great for AJ Brown in terms of seven targets four receptions 62 yards and a touchdown but he had a rare touchdown catch that he was about wrapped up by two or three Baltimore Ravens defenders at like the 12 yard line and somehow was able to carry them along with efforts from you know the offensive line pushing him into the end zone just pull them for six and then you had Derrick Henry and when this game went into overtime out of nothing, out of nowhere, you know, it culminated on all the body blows that he had against this Ravens defense and was able to scamper for a 29-yard touchdown run to seal it, which capped off a day of 28 carries, 133 yards and a score. Yeah, so I was talking about the we were talking about the Ravens formula. The Titans did their formula did take hold in the second half where it was a classic Derrick Henry kind of like softening them up. Like he was running into brick walls for a while. And then the chunk gains were kind of coming late in the second half. And then yeah, the 29-yard touchdown walk-off and I mean the A.J. Brown is it's a nominee for touchdown of the year you know in a world without the DeAndre Hopkins touchdown it might have been <laughs> touchdown of the year and full disclosure I haven't seen the Adam Thielen touchdown yet which I've mm. been informed uh, was maybe touchdown of the year but it's the A.J. Brown score too like we gotta get we gotta manufacture more touches for A.J. Brown he hasn't had 10 targets in any game yet this season he has zero rushing attempts and 
you know, today was like his signature yak touchdown, just like obliterating tackle attempts. But as we know, he does that almost every time he touches yeah. the ball. And they've got to be more proactive about getting him the ball. I mean, I know that's always easier, easier said than done, but they've got to be more active about getting Adrian Brown the ball. I do want to mention that Ryan Tannehill attempted 31 passes, completed 22 for 259 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. I also want to ask Pat about Corey Davis. Corey Davis, seven targets, five receptions, 113 yards. I didn't mention him among you know the rare playmakers that an A.J. Brown, the Derrick Henry types. I don't even have Corey Davis in any of my lineups, full disclosure. But if I did, Pat, despite him posting consistent, nearly consistent production all season long, I would have to talk myself into it based on the matchup. I would not have chosen it today, but he seemingly just sneaks into production almost each and every week. No, it's crazy. He's someone we never talk about on our podcast. Never. Someone people, <laughs> never. Someone people never ask us about. Like, we never get questions. you know, like, Corey Davis or Mike Williams. Uh, five catches now and six of eight appearances this year. Uh, he has five 100-yard career games. Three of those have been this year, I believe. Uh, wow. You know, a guy who just got his fifth-year team option declined last spring and still only 25 years old. I mean, basically left for dead. And We've seen this, you know, more with receivers in recent years, kind of like some Devontae Parkering or so like this year, you know, makes it when every young receiver is like playing so well, except for your boy, Henry Ruggs. Uh, it seems like it's like easy uh, for the, but it's not easy, you know, and maybe he's just a classic late bloomer. He came from, you know, like not a not a huge football conference and just maybe he just needed more time because hmm. it's, it's weird because it's hard to say how he's really doing. It. He's not making like big play after big play. He's not scoring a ton of touchdowns, but. He's just very consistently moving the change and just being a very good outside wide receiver. Yeah, he was a player coming out of Central Michigan that the analytics community loved because he had you know an early dominator score, and then the tape watchers loved him as well, Pat, because you know he passed the eye test. Yet it just never happened, despite being a top ten selection in the draft. He was a top ten selection in the draft when there were three top ten wide receivers that went in that class. It was Corey Davis first. Uh, Mike, Mike Williams, then it was John Ross. I mean, what a group. But Corey, <laughs> like you mentioned, Pat, sometimes these contract year players just perform in contract years, and he's certainly doing that and going to make himself a lot of money this offseason because of it, I think. All right. You mentioned the backfield with J.K. Dobbins. 15 carries compared to Gus Edwards, three compared to Mark Ingram's, two. Uh, Mark Andrews had that big play. I want to ask about two names. Lamar Jackson just overall. I mean, 17 to 29, 186, one touchdown, one interception. Pat, he did have 51 rushing yards on the ground. We can't make the excuse that this was a rainstorm, that it was awful weather, awful conditions. What's the deal? Yeah, I mean, he's just missing throws. That's just, I don't know. I mean, I wish there was like some deeper meaning to it. And I'm sure there is. Like if I was a true like tape grinder, but he's just missing throws. So you had Marquise Brown. It should have been a 40-yard touchdown. He had a step down the middle of the field and the throw was just late. So it was broken up instead of being a touchdown. Mark Andrews, they, they, they did a roll, like a gadget design rollout to the right just to get him space in the red zone. Mark Andrews was open in the end zone and he just missed the throw. And it's weird because he's not like missing them. It, it, and in some ways it almost just feels like small sample size because it's not yeah. like he's like totally like air mailing people or like turf missling it. He seems like he's kind of like just missing guys, but it's happening every week. And we've been saying that me and you since like week four. I know, and uh, <laughs> I, I, maybe it's truly just small sample sizing, but 
you know, that, that's usually not the case in football. Just, yeah. He's just a guy who's just missing throws, especially throws he did not miss last year. I mean, you know, maybe it'll get even harder with Ronnie Stanley out from the stretch run and just, uh, but yeah, he's just, I don't know how to be, uh, to get any deeper into it that he's just not making the throws. I've got to ask about Des Bryant, the second leading receiver on the team. Five targets, four receptions, 28 yards. Anything we can pluck from here? It took three or four years, but he's now caught a pass for a team other than the Dallas Cowboys. You know, it seemed inevitable for a long time. But uh, no, I mean, the, they spent Tony Romo, ex-teammate, uh, spent a oh, yeah. long talking about how good his hands are. And they looked very strong, plucking the ball out of the air. But uh, the yak ability, uh, probably lacking at this stage of Des Bryant's career. And, you know, probably not a good sign that I believe he led the receiver core in targets today. And, you know, that's when, when Des Bryant and Willie Sneed are drawing four to five targets, like that's obviously not a good sign hmm. for the state of your offense. And uh, yeah, there's not, I don't think there's going to be any fantasy there or there for Des Bryant, especially we talk about the Steelers who they're playing in week 12 can give up some big plays, but you know, that's no longer Des Bryant's game. So like I would definitely not be looking to the Des Bryant well in week 12. The other game you had, the Los Angeles Chargers beating the New York Jets 34 to 28. That's the Chargers' third win on the season. It was a ceiling spot for Justin Herbert. 37 of 49, 366 yards, three touchdowns. Pat, I mean, one, I think the Chargers were favored by nine points in this game, ten points in this game. They failed to cover, which is very Chargerish against the Jets. <laughs> but also, I mean, they were up huge, 24 to 6 at halftime. Why and how? Did Justin Herbert go on to pass the ball 49 times in this contest? Well, a lot of it was in the first half. Was a bit, He entered the, the halftime with 277 yards and two wow. touchdowns. I mean, just did truly whatever he wanted against the Jets. I mean, just Keenan Allen. Just, so, you know, the Jets, they had a – I don't know if you knew, they had a very interesting week at cornerback. They had some releases. They had some IRings. They had some injury rule-outs. And uh, it looked like it against Justin Herbert just – no resistance with, I mean, just truly completing the ball at will uh, to Keenan Allen. Hit some big plays uh, to Mike Williams. Hit a big play to Tyron Johnson, I believe. Yeah. Um, someone I know very little about. Um, I'm sh- sh- assuming I should. Um, but knew, hit a 54-yard completion to Tyron Johnson. And just no resistance whatsoever in the first half. Then kind of a classic, uh, taking the air out of the ball a little bit in the second half. Kalen Balage season. On uh, the second, Joe Flacco entered halftime three of eight for 30 yards, and he got his deep ball working after halftime. So it's kind of just the Chargers taking the air out of the ball after just a first half that went as good as humanly possible. You mentioned Keenan Allen. He had 19 targets, 16 receptions, 145 yards. Even Mike Williams got there in just seven targets because he had four catches, 72 yards, and a score. Yeah, we got to talk about Kalen Balaz just for a minute because he owns this backfield. I mean, completely owns it. I know he left kind of early on with a bit of a questionable tag, a bit of an injury early on. But, you know, Joshua Kelly, just four carries for negative two yards. Troy Main Pope came in three carries for four yards. Meanwhile, Kalen Balaj, 16 carries for 44 yards and caught another seven passes on nine targets for 27 yards. He is just here to stay in our lives. And it's very 2020, Pat. It is. Yeah. Josh Kelly had six total touches for a two yards. So, not the best day for old uh, rookie Josh. Tremaine Pope, completely not involved. Back-to-back weeks with 23 touches for Kalen Balazs. And there's some things to watch there. He left on the first series very brief- briefly with an injury. And he also left on the final series briefly with an injury. And he did not check back in, uh, presumably because the game ended. I think he would have probably been able to keep playing. But 
Justin Jackson has to miss one more game on injured reserve. And Austin Eckler could be activated at any moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but even – so bye weeks are over for week 12. That means all 32 teams are playing. The player pool is going to be deeper in fantasy. It's going to knock some people like Kalen Balazs down the ranks. But if, if uh, Austin Eckler remains sidelined for week 12, then Kalen Balazs, I mean, he's just a locked-in RB2. Even – he, he looks – he doesn't look terrible. He doesn't look great. He looks better than he did as a Miami Dolphin. But, yeah, he's not getting a whole lot more than what is blocked. But, yeah, I mean, uh, when you're playing for Anthony Lynn and, you're you, and like, you're the lead back, you're locked in, like, 20 touches. And Kalen Balazs is an RB2 right now. Quickly close on the Jets. I saw Joe Flacco throw a pick six very early on, uh, and it looked like his body was devoid of all emotion afterwards. <laughs> It was just an amazing look. Uh, Frank Gore and Michael P. Ryan both found the end zone. Who cares? Um, I, I guess, Pat, look, we expect the Jets, no matter what, no matter who they play, to operate a negative game script. And you made fun of me for Henry Ruggs earlier, so I do want to bring up Denzel Mims because Denzel Mims is a player who's kind of emerging over the last few weeks, Pat. Now, he had eight targets, so the catch rate was very low, and it probably wasn't his fault. Just through receptions. But he's coming down with these amazing sideline grabs. Uh, three catches, 71 yards today. There is there something there that can even give Jets fans a morsel of hope? Definitely. I mean, I think we were we were all kind of excited about Denzel Mims as a second rounder, kind of like a high variance prospect, but a guy who had clear upside. And now all four games, he's reached at least, at least 40 yards, which that isn't nothing in this offense. Uh, today, all three catches went for at least 19 yards. He drew a 19-yard defensive pass interference penalty. And frankly, the play that ended the game, he was targeted uh, in the end zone, maybe at the one-yard line, and he seemed to be getting blatantly interfered with, and they didn't throw the flag. And so he was creating a lot of problems for the Chargers secondary. And there's been a few weeks where he's mixed in for big plays early and then wasn't targeted the rest of the game. Today was all after half. It seemed like they can't get him involved for 60 minutes, but mm. I mean, he is playing up to his size, you know, six foot three prospect. Like he looks his size. He looks very explosive. I mean, you know, he's making plays even with Sam Darnold and Joe Flacco. Like he's definitely looking like a building block piece for the Jets offense. And based on how the Jets organization has been the last few years, Pat, it kind of feels like receiver records since like Wayne Corbett and Lavernius Coles. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, they need a, they need a hitter receiver. And just by the way, uh, Jamison Crowder, like that season is canceled till. Uh, oh, I totally forgot he even existed. Three targets, one reception, 16 yards. Yeah, he had two catches going into the Jets by and then one catch coming out of the Jets by. Joe Flacco, uh, only interested basically in throwing the ball deep. I'm sure partly because of the score falling behind 24 6 at halftime. But yeah, the checkdowns are not there for Jamison Crowder right now. Jamison Crowder is like the prime example this season of how long a fantasy football year is because, like, <laughs> for the first. Four or five weeks of the season, he was like the the wide receiver four in fantasy points per game, and now he is unrosterable. Basically, it's that's always that's a very unique Jamison Crowder phenomenon. His seasons are always very long and winding. He's very hyped for stretches always, and then he disappears, and then he's hyped again. And yeah, it's he's a the, the Jamison Crowder circle of life is being lived once again this year. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. The Cleveland Browns improved to 7-3 and three for the first time in two centuries as they beat the Philadelphia Eagles 22-17 to 17 as, once again, a very cool guy goes by my window. And we have a cool guy joining us, a fan favorite. Chris Allen is back for this game. Chris, I'm so glad you get to paint a little picture for us on this game because it didn't seem like it was that much of fireworks, firepower. But let's start on, like the, let's start on the winning side. Baker Mayfield, 12 of 22, 204 yards. But we know always the Browns want to run the football. They're very good at doing that, especially with Wyatt Teller and Nick Chubb returning. And Chubb had 20 carries for 114 yards. And Kareem Hunt had another 11 and a touchdown on the ground himself. Yes, and I think this game was definitely underscored by the fact that the rain was going to be an issue for for both teams. And uh, this has been something that I've been tracking since Thursday. Uh, It looked like there was going to be a significant amount of rain going on throughout the game. And, I mean, the Browns, it looks like it allowed them to lean into their strengths on at least uh, as as an offense because they only passed on just about 35% of their offensive plays. Uh, We saw for a while that uh, because of the slippery grass that was there on the field, I mean, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt both were kind of stymied on the ground for a while. But then in the third quarter with that 54-yard run by Nick Chubb, I mean, you just saw everything that we love to see coming out of Nick Chubb. I mean, just the contact balance. I mean, the stiff arm. I mean, all the highlights of Chubb's ability as a rusher were there, I mean, just all on display in that one run. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, it was, I think, a slower game than uh, than we had wanted out of the Browns. But given the fact that they've been playing in Cleveland these past few weeks without the wind or the rain, it was somewhat expected. Yeah, if Nick Chubb was allowed to have a, a vintage-style run, that was certainly it. With stiff arming, you know, 250-pound linebackers down, straight in the middle of the field, straight to the turf. And then obviously gaining momentum and gaining speed and and reeling off, like you said, a 54-yard run. And I don't know, again, how much there is to say about this Browns offense because, you know, Kadero Hodge had 73 yards, Rashard Higgins had 65 yards, Austin Hooper 33, Jarvis Landry 23 yards. It seems like in recent weeks they've had, as you have mentioned, so many weather issues that it's been difficult to get a grasp on this passing game without Odell Beckham. How did Baker look? And how did he look? Did he favor any of these wide receivers more than any other? It looked like it was more of him favoring both Hodge uh, and Higgins for the most part. I mean, Jarvis Landry, he came into this game with, I believe, a 19, 20% target share over the past couple of weeks since Odell had been down. So we were hoping to see more of his involvement in this game. But I mean, his very first few passes were a mixture between uh, like shots to Hodge, shots to Higgins, and actually most of his downfield shots like uh, were featured by Hodge or Higgins. So, I mean, for those folks that are still rostering uh, Jarvis Landry, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, this is this might be just more of a feature of the of the passing game now, considering that he's spreading the ball out quite a bit more than what we would hope for. But uh, otherwise, I mean, I still think that Baker Mayfield still looked decent as a passer. I mean, still more of the being able to move on play action, that bootleg action out uh, and taking shots downfield. I mean, of course, we can t- uh, take some of his uh, errant throws and we can maybe pass those off to kind of the, the poor conditions for that game. But otherwise, I think he played a pretty decent game. 
Well, we hit the positives. Let's hit the negatives. <laughs> Over to the Philadelphia Eagles. Look, Carson Wentz on the day, 21 of 35, 235, two touchdowns, an interception, five sacks, three of those caused by Olivier Vernon. Uh, I wrote down the five drives that the Eagles had in the first half. Three punts, a pick six by Carson Wentz that he held far too long, tipped in the air, returned by Sione Takitaki, and a fumble. It's simply not good enough. We're here in week 11. It's still happening. And yet Doug Peterson immediately after the game says that Carson Wentz is his starter. I understand it from a contract perspective, Chris, but from a drive-by-drive, game-by-game perspective, Carson Wentz is simply not improving here in 2020. No, he's not. And I'm like Doug Peterson's insistence to keep going back to Wentz despite the constant sacks, the constant. I mean, he had a fumble in this game. He didn't wind up losing it. But still, I mean, the interceptions were I mean, uh, you should definitely be able to place those on Wentz's shoulders this time. Uh, There's really nothing that we can take away from, I guess, uh, the passing game in general. I mean, other than what uh, Goddard garbage time touchdown to maybe Mm. salvage part of his day. But otherwise, I mean, these I I think this was a poorly planned offensive uh, game like for, for the Eagles. I mean, they came out understanding that the weather was going to play a role, at least have some sort of impact on this game. We saw multiple runs for Miles Sanders. I mean, he had, I mean, just like reading through the the, the game log, I mean, he had runs for a 9, 11, 11, 7, 3, 6, and 11 yards, like for his first like seven carries. I mean, he was running at about 8.3 yards per clip wow. in the first half. I mean, this was this was actually going to be a, a decent game for Miles Sanders, but then in the second half, they completely went away from the running game. I, I guess I can sl- somewhat understand because at that point they were down by I think about ten points. But either way, I mean, trying to put the game in the hands of Carson Wentz at this point should not be an option for the Eagles. I mean, it's it's fairly clear at this point, considering that he's had multiple interceptions in in consecutive games now, taken at least two or three sacks in almost every game this season. I mean, that it's just it's not a way for the Eagles to win this game. I mean, despite the fact, I mean, they are playing. In a, in a in a division where three to four wins might might up get you to the playoffs, but yeah. still this this is not a way for the, this franchise at this point. But but even I think you can have that perspective. Maybe Doug Pierce and the fan base and the ownership and whatever might want to have that perspective. But I feel like even in these games, Carson Wentz is going to want to take the hold of the game no matter what. Like this is his style right now. Of I'm going to play hero ball. Even in the last few weeks, when it seems like Doug Peterson wants to manage him a little bit more, like. That interception, it looked like he wanted to throw it to a shorter route, even though a, a more intermediate one was wide open. Mm-hmm. And just holding it that extra tick is what caused that that pick six. It's it's just it's difficult because I was excited about this Eagles team, and we talk about this every single week, I feel like, but I was excited about this Eagles team heading into the season. And while maybe we couldn't have expected Carson Wentz, who was once a true, true MVP candidate to look this poor. Chris, I also think a major part of it are the offensive line issues because at left tackle, Jason Peters is totally done. At right mm-hmm. tackle in this game and in parts of the season, Lane Johnson has been in and out of the lineup. I think Jason Kelsey missed part of this game as well. And then they've obviously had Brandon Brooks out for the entire season. And so we, we, we look at good teams at this point in the calendar, and so many of them, the vast majority of them, have consistent, solid, good offensive lines and the Eagles are far from that. So when Carson Wentz is pressured now more than ever, he is back to this turnover machine that we just hate to see it. 
Right. And but the thing is, they've acknowledged the fact that they've had multiple injuries on the offense, but they're not changing their passing game in order to adjust for these injuries. It's not like we're seeing more uh, shorter, uh, shorter passes to Boston Scott, Dallas Goddard. I mean, Travis Fulgham was essentially a zero in the passing game, even though I mean, the box score says he has seven or eight targets. But yeah. I would say maybe two of those were, were catchable targets. I mean, but otherwise, I mean, the, the Eagles are unable to, I guess, adjust to the fact that this is what they're dealing with now on offense and i'm with you i mean i was excited at the fact that i mean jalen rager came back uh, just a couple weeks ago so he was now going to be a bigger part of the offense dallas goddard came back from injury zach Ertz is on his way back alshon jeffrey was back today even though i mean he was really the i guess the reason why he uh, carson went through his second interception of the game mm-hmm. but regardless i mean this was a team that at least on on paper looked like they were getting healthy but we're still seeing these turnovers so we're still seeing these lapses of judgment at the quarterback position where I would have, I would have hoped to see I guess a bit more I don't know like I guess an easier path for Carson Wentz to to succeed and we're just not seeing it. Well, let's end on positive. You mentioned Travis Fulgham got seven targets. That's great. Miles Sanders five targets. That's great. Um, but Dallas Goddard six targets, five receptions, seventy-seven yards, and a score. You said his touchdown came late into this game, but with the tight end position being what it is right now in fantasy football. And with Zach Ertz declining and also injured right now, it certainly gets the feeling and the sense that Dallas Goddard could potentially be a top five, top seven tied in the rest of the way. Is that a little rich for you? Uh, no, I don't think so, to be quite honest, considering what was it last week? Basically, if you scored a touchdown, you were a tight end one. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> and now and now, especially in this game, I mean, it was both Richard Rodgers and Dallas Goddard that yeah. wound up catching the touchdowns. They'll both probably f- uh, finish within the top 12 for the position. So, no, I don't think so, especially on a week to week basis. We can slot Dallas Goddard into at least four or five targets uh, on a weekly basis. So I, I still think that Dallas Goddard can wind up being a, a like a bright spot in that offense. It's just now we're going to have to worry about the quarterback week in and week out. The Pittsburgh Steelers improved to 10-0 and for the first time in franchise history, which is just crazy to believe, beating the Jacksonville Jaguars 27-3. to Kyle Dvorak covered that game for us. Kyle, there's lots to talk about here on this Steelers team. Last week, we saw every single wide receiver get home. Juju, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson. Let's st- first start with Deontay Johnson today. 16 targets. Yes, yeah, 16 targets, 12 receptions, 111 yards. What a day. I mean, he's incredible. And the thing is, like, this team passes a lot, and he still has crazy, like, market share numbers for his targets. And that's kind of the interesting thing. Think about all of these receivers and why we saw last week that they could all pay off and why this week two of them plus Eric Ebron can pay off. This team has just been passing a lot. And, I mean, it makes sense. I'm not – I will not blame them for passing a lot when Hmm. you've got, like, Juju as your number three. And Eric Ebron, like, quietly, I think a good touchdown score. And James Conner, a fine pass catching back. They should be passing a lot. It's just – we see so many times, like like we saw it for years with Russell Wilson, his team just, no matter the talent they had in terms of their receivers and obviously having a great quarterback, they chose not to. And in this game, they attempted 21 passes, I believe, in the second half. It was at least over 20, I know that. And they were yeah. pretty much winning. Like They entered halftime, I believe, with a two-score lead. Never, well, obviously, never gave it up in the second half. So they pass a lot, and they pass to great guys. Deontay Johnson should get the bulk of the targets. And that is great for his PPR value. And then Chase Claypool is just scoring touchdowns at essentially an unprecedented rate for a rookie. So Juju, probably the odd man out sometimes. And he actually left this game with a toe injury. He, I mean, the broadcast said that he could have came back. I believe the broadcast said that he could have came back. He looked quite limpy, but he's a guy who always seems to be banged up and play through injuries. He's, he's tough as nails. So 
I would imagine we'll see him back. And I imagine he's probably the most spotty of all the receivers. Deontay seeing a ton of targets and is awesome with them. And Claypool may be a little more volatile, but I mean, man, what a, what a grown man. I have about five things I need to ask you, but first let's get out of the way. Juju's line was five targets, four receptions, 19 yards. Chase Claypool's eight targets, four receptions, 59 yards. I love the point that you made that this team typically, if other you know, clubs saw this kind of game script. I mean, they were up 17 to three at halftime. They just run the, the football a lot in the second half. But as you mentioned, 46 total attempts for Ben Roethlisberger, just 26 total carries for this team, including just 13 for James Conner. So this really isn't one of those situations where we can say, oh, the Steelers here are favored by 10 plus points yeah. on Sunday. It's going to be a smash spot for James Conner. And how do you think that's possibly because they just understand that James Conner's like a limited football player. I understand watching some of the highlights of this game. That he was creating a lot of the runs by himself, but at the end of the day, he's not Le'Veon Bell. He's just James Conner, right? So, you know, you can take 13 carries for 89 yards and it's solid, but I don't know if we have ceiling days in store for James Conner moving forward. Yeah, the ceiling days are just going to be based on touchdowns. And this team can put up points, you know, at will, essentially. It's just whether do they get down like like they got. Actually, that was perfect. This would have been the James Conner day. They got down to Deontay Johnson on the one. And then Benny Snell mm. comes in like he's still out like James Conner still out carried Snell. But that's how you're going to need it to happen is you need to get him inside the five and score multiple touchdowns. Because, yeah, it's not going to be a ton of volume, both in terms of like we actually saw a little bit of the backups getting some run in this game. We still should project James Conner to be clearly the lead back and probably the pass catching back, but it's just not like he's getting a, a solid, you know, a solid slice of an already meh pie. And he's not an incredible back. Like he's not going to do a ton on his own. It's not like when Alvin Kamara goes out and gets 12 carries, you're like, I don't know. He still could have gotten hundred yards. That's just not James Conner. So I think it's going to be, you run hot with touchdowns some weeks and that's, that's good enough. He's, he's probably one of the backs that is more likely to score a touchdown than your average back, but that's what you're hoping for. And I think that's just what we have to expect from him going forward. So I'm going to ask you an impossible question, but you, I need an answer. Okay, Kyle, the Ravens, Washington, the Bills, the Bengals, the Colts, and the Browns are the rest of the schedule now for the 10 and 0 Pittsburgh Steelers. When do the Steelers lose? Uh, Ravens, Washington. What Bills, was the next one? Bills. I'm going to say Bills. Dude, Bills are. I, okay. I think. I think the Bills have the highest upside of all of those opponents. I still think the Steelers are probably a better team. I think outside of the Chiefs, it's difficult. Like obviously, I don't want to be too results oriented. They've gotten you know some easy wins. They've had some close like. Like their Dallas game. That is like, that is not a team when you watch them play Dallas that should be undefeated at this point, but they are. I don't want to be too results oriented. The Bills seem like the team with the most upside to really dethrone this Pittsburgh team. And uh, like, obviously, I don't think they're better than the Chiefs, but they don't have to play the Chiefs, luckily for them. Right. So I'll say the Bills. I'll say that's the one that gets them. And they, that means they get through the Ravens again, though, which, uh, man, it's a, a different story, man. This Pittsburgh team just seems so complete, whereas Baltimore has like upside, but it's just like Pittsburgh can put it all together. Games where they don't put up a ton of points, their defense is great. Their defense yeah. was, I mean, de- it wasn't a great game from Jake Lutton. They just kind of took the layups. But man, this defense is just as good as the offense in some sense. It's just that offense matters more. One final point on the Steelers offense. You know, typically we've seen the best regular season teams and their quarterback be a top three, top five, if not the top one score at the quarterback position. Ben Roethlisberger heading into week 11 was the quarterback 12 in fantasy points per game, which is kind of incredible when you consider just how good and how many weapons he has out there. But, you know, that doesn't directly obviously correlate to a 10-0 undefeated record. All right, Jacksonville Jaguars time. We've seen Jake Luton look okay in the past. This was 
seemingly an abysmal performance. And you kind of see it a mile away, 16 of 37, 151 yards and four interceptions. And I guess we need to ask about DJ Chark, because if anyone started anyone in this pass catching group, it would be him. Eight targets, four receptions and 41 yards. What didn't work? I mean, it was simply Jake Lutton didn't work. And that's kind of all it comes down to is that, you know, you look at the top-down approach. What is the most important thing in determining the offense? It's going to be the quarterback play. And he got an, an awful matchup. This is one of the worst, if not the worst matchups to draw. But it's simply that Jake Lutton was just wildly inaccurate. He was overthrowing, mm. underthrowing, throwing to the wrong team. One of his interceptions, I think, tipped off the hands of Chris Conley, but I'm still three interceptions. So it's not that, you know, Chark can't get open. The targets are an indicator of his ability to get open. He paced the team in targets by a considerable margin. I think it was eight to, to five for the next guy. So his targets indicate that he can get open and he gets open downfield too. So his targets are very valuable. They're just not that valuable when Jake Lutton is your quarterback. I think this game cemented the fact that Gardner Minshew, while probably probably not the starter for next year, should be the starter once he returns. As soon as he is healthy, please, God, get, get Gardner Minshew back in the lineup. <laughs> the Washington football team beats the Cincinnati Bengals 20-9, to and Denny Carter had this game. Denny, we understand that Washington won, but the big story is the season-ending injury for Joe Burrow after – attempting 34 passes, completing 22 of them, 203 yards, and one touchdown. He suffered what appeared to be a very significant left knee injury. I believe it's already reported as an ACL tear. What did the game look like before then, and what did the game look like after on the Cincinnati offense? The Bengals were actually moving the ball uh, pretty well against the Washington defense. They seemed to be really focused on uh, getting the ball out of Burrow's hands in a hurry uh, to avoid that, uh, you know, very good Washington front seven, that pass rush. Uh, Chase Young was, you know, in Burrow's grill from, you know, minute one, and and he had that big hit on Burrow at the uh, goal line. Um, but other than that, it was, uh, they were keeping Burrow clean for the most part. Um, you know, quick passes to Gio Bernard, quick passes to Tyler Boyd. Um, two downfield shots to T Higgins that were so close to hitting. Um, and, you know, obviously the game completely changes. Uh, I, I thought the game looked like it might've been a track meet, honestly, in the first hmm. quarter, uh, turns out to be just a, a low scoring slog of a game, but, um, yeah, I mean, the Bengals looked fine. And then after Burrow went down, they did not. On the day, Tyler Boyd led with 11 targets, nine receptions, 85 yards. A.J. Green finally got in the end zone, 41 yards. Gio Bernard, nine carries for 18, 37 yards in the air. You know, Pat made a statement on the game-by-game preview show that it feels like every single week we preview Joe Burrow facing a world-class defensive pass rush. And then I went back and looked at it. Five of the last six opponents for Joe Burrow, the Ravens, the Colts, the Browns, and Washington today, and the Steelers previously. I mean, that's just awful foreshadowing by Pat, but just a ridiculous run of games for Joe Burrow, a rookie quarterback behind a bad offensive line. And I'm not saying obviously anyone should have predicted this, could have predicted this, but I think it does show that even though Joe Joe Burrow is obviously a fearless player, that the lack of talent along the offensive line contributed to losses and now contributed to a season-ending injury. You know, depending on the other parts of that injury, other complications with with the uh, the type of injury he had, we know it's an ACL. It could be 
other, uh, you know, other type of injuries too, to the knee or the leg. Uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if it's, if it's kind of a, uh, it requires some hustle to get him back for opening day yeah. uh, next year. So the lions, I'm sorry, the Bengals uh, might want to invest in an offensive line for their franchise player, a guy who, you know, was 10th in the league in, in passing yards coming into this week. And just, just a great rookie campaign. I've got to ask you, we know that Joe Mixon might not return this year. Zach Taylor has already said that. We know that Tyler Boyd had good weeks. T. Higgins had 10 targets today, but just three receptions for 26 yards. So he was in the mix to be in people's lineup. Same for Gio Bernard. Mm-hmm. I think it's impossible to play anyone moving forward with Ryan Finley and attached to him, right? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad you said it because I I in my you know writing up this game, blurbing players from this game, I couldn't envision a scenario where you you're confidently starting uh, Boyd, Higgins, Green, Bernard, you know anybody uh, attached to to this offense. Finley looked absolutely miserable. I, I honestly mm. can't believe uh, that's all they have, you know, behind, behind Burrow. I mean, you know, he started three games last year talking about Finley. He completed 47% of his passes, 47%. So um, everybody becomes like a fringe wide receiver four. And that's really, really unfortunate because Tyler Boyd was kind of a PPR machine through most of the season. T Higgins has the big play potential. We saw him, you know, pretty much dominate against a really good Pittsburgh defense. Uh, And, and now if you're a fantasy manager, you have those guys, you know, you're, you're looking, you're probably looking elsewhere. Well, it was an easy win for Washington in the end, 17 to 25 for Alex Smith, 166 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Terry McLaurin saw seven targets, five catches, 84 yards. I think maybe most importantly, Denny back to back weeks, if not more than that, it's been Antonio Gibson week, 16 carries today, 94 yards, a touchdown in positive game script, which is fantastic. That's exactly the type of matchups we want to see him smash. And he did very good today. I mean, he's racking up, you know, since week seven, basically a long stretch of running back one production in that span. And I guess we need to treat him as such moving forward. You know, they, they focus on him, especially early in the game. I mean, unless, unless it's like absolutely runaway negative game script, he's, he's going to get his, you know, and, and he has most of the goal line opportunity. Peyton Barber saw eight carries today. And I, and I, I, thought about, you know, an Antonio Gibson drafter seeing that stat and saying, oh no, is Peyton Barber sneaking back into into the mix, into the early down mix? And I, I would say no, that that Barber's involvement was completely related to the fact that Burrow went down, Washington's defense was dominating, and they honestly had no intention of trying to, to score any more points, you know, and they were just going to run the ball. They were going to take the air out of the ball. Um, and, and so Gibson got six, 16 carries, Barber got uh, eight, but yeah, getting back to Gibson, uh, even without the the pass catching uh, action that that McKissick gets, uh, he's he's a, just a super solid floor uh, week in and week out. I do need to ask about McKissick, and then we'll close with that because you know he's been viewed as a, a running back too, just because of his you know receiving volume alone. He did get six carries for forty three yards today in the passing game, four targets, three receptions, twenty six yards. You know that's on the heels of against Detroit, him basically in the first half operating as a wide receiver. You know, they were on the field the exact same time. What was the usage like today for J.D. McKissick? Uh, Most of his production came in the two-minute offense. Um, Anytime, you know, they're in hurry up, uh, he's in there and Gibson is not. 
And so, you know, I think McKissick had three or four catches in the final two minutes of the first half. Um, you know, I, it's it'll be hard to predict when he's going to have those blow up PPR weeks, you know, that like we saw against Detroit. Uh, but he clearly has uh, a defined role in, in the offense, in an offense that's, you know, we have to remember is quarterbacked by a, a, a conservative passer in Alex Smith who checks down a lot. And we know that. Uh, so, you know, standard scoring, I'm not sure you're using McKissick PPR, uh, you know, he's, he's a flex at, at worst. And in, in weeks where you, you think that the, that Washington might see some negative game script, he could be more than that. The Carolina Panthers are now four and seven on the year, beating the Detroit lions 20 to nothing. Yes. A shutout for this awful, awful Panthers defense, but I guess it wasn't as awful against Matthew Stafford. We'll get there in the moment. Let's start first with. P.J. Walker, who started for the Panthers in lieu of Teddy Bridgewater, who went through the pregame warm-up, was ruled active, and then shortly thereafter, inactive. So Walker got the start, 24-34, 258, one touchdown, and two interceptions. I know this is like a big if, but if you remove the two interceptions for Walker, his day was very, very good. He was making difficult throws with pressure in his face. He was challenging vertically. He was hitting basically every single receiver that the Panthers have on their roster at almost every other level of the field. He looked like a quality NFL backup, but those two interceptions, I believe both in the red zone, could have been game killers on and against a worse opponent than the Lions were today. DJ Moore had a fantastic day, one of his best days as a professional. 11 targets, 7 receptions, 127 yards. Curtis Samuel continues to be relevant, and I I think that he can still be considered a a flex option when Christian McCaffrey isn't on this roster. 10 targets, 8 receptions, 70 yards, and a score. And Robbie Anderson, while the yardage total still isn't there, the opportunity still is. 9 targets, 7 receptions, and 46 yards. The other development from this Panthers offense is is that while Mike Davis in his first couple starts in the absence of Chris McCaffrey was outstanding, today he once again got back that feature workload. 19 carries, 64 yards, and a score. Just a long run of nine yards, but he was doing really good work between the tackles and and making yards for himself, and the yards just weren't blocked for him. And he also had two receptions and 15 yards. You know, Rodney Smith, the rookie, did get a few opportunities. Eight carries, 29 yards. But again, I think we can continue to look at Mike Davis while Christian McCaffrey is going to miss at least a few more weeks, it sounds like, as at the very least a a running back two with the Minnesota Vikings and the Denver Broncos ahead on the schedule. On the line side of this, we knew heading into the game that Kenny Galladay would miss the contest and kind of in the same line where if Julio Jones is out for Matt Ryan, Kenny Galladay being out for Matthew Stafford really cripples this offense. Stafford on the day... Just 18 completions on 33 attempts, 178 yards. His main target should have been Marvin Jones, but Marvin Jones had just six targets, four receptions, and 51 yards. In fact, it was TJ Hawkinson with 68 yards on seven catches. The other big storyline was that DeAndre Swift, who had a breakout week 10, came up with a concussion in midweek. So Adrian Pearson and on Johnson split the backfield. They combined for 13 carries for just 35 rushing yards. It was absolutely awful. Carryon did have two catches for 21 yards. Hopefully it's just a one-week absence for DeAndre Swift because he has some 
real burst and electricity in this backfield that the other two just simply do not possess. But Brian Burns and Yeter Gross Matos and more defensive players, Jeremy Chen, Shaq Thompson, I could keep going on and on, were just so much better than the Lions, which, I mean, at some point, you'd think that some fingers start pointing at Matt Patricia and, and Bob Quinn, but I don't know. They're, they're still just four and six, and maybe they have a few wins left in them to bring them to 500 on the season, but that should not be the goal here for the Detroit Lions. And we'll close with the Denver Broncos beating the Miami Dolphins 22-13. You know, on the preview show this week, I asked the guys why they thought Las Vegas made this line with Dolphins as just three and a half point favorites on the road. And what I was missing, well, I was missing a lot. Uh, Most importantly, I was missing how Vic Fangio could absolutely confuse Tua Tungavailoa and absolutely confuse this Miami Dolphins offensive line. And that the Dolphins currently don't have a playmaker, probably outside of Devontae Parker, to really be able to create on their own. Actually, on the day, Tua got benched in the fourth quarter. He did get his ankle rolled up on on a quarterback hit, but Brian Flores immediately came out after the game and said that he was benched for performance. And that's it. Before leaving the game, Tua completed 11 of 20 passes for just 83 yards and a touchdown, was sacked six times, had a long completion of 13 yards. His first read wasn't there, and then when he got to his third and fourth read, often it was just very conservative play. He just didn't know what he was seeing, and it's you know something that the Dolphins had done to Jared Goff. It's something that the Dolphins had done to Justin Herbert, but now Vic Fangio did it to Tua, As of now, we're not sure who the starter is going to be moving forward. I bet they go back to Tua and just write this off to first-year rookie mistakes, but it is absolutely something to monitor with Miami in the playoff hunt for sure. And this was a possibility that we brought up when Brian Flores, out of nowhere during the bye week, turned over the reins to Tua. But Ryan Fitzpatrick came in and immediately hit Mike Gesicki for more downfield passes was much more of an aggressive player, 12 of 18, 117 yards and an interception. But just overall, other than a end zone lofted pass to Devontae Parker, nine targets, six receptions, 61 yards and a score, really no one got anything going. But Salvin Ahmed did lead the backfield in opportunities, 12 carries and 43 yards. On the Denver side, after it felt like month of bad play from Drew Locke, if not more than that, He was very solid despite what the box score indicates here. 18 of 30, 270 yards and an interception. Also ran for 23 yards. But this Dolphins defense has given so many other quarterbacks, opposing quarterbacks, issues. Game in and game out with their amoeba fronts, with their zero pressure, with how good these cornerbacks are. And Drew Locke consistently found the right targets in the intermediate portions of the field. I mean, Tim Patrick at 119 yards. Noah Fant made 55 yards look fantastic. Same thing with Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, 37 and 35 yards. And what really stood out was both Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay both getting more than 15 carries in this game. Gordon taking the 15 for 84 yards and two scores. Did have a crucial fumble at the end of the game that gave the Dolphins life towards the end. But Philip Lindsay had 82 yards of his own as well. All right, that is going to do it for us. Once again, the schedule for this week, we'll have our normal Tuesday morning episode of the Waiver Wire show. Then on Wednesday morning, we will have the three-game Thanksgiving slate previews. 
And then Thursday evening or Friday, depending on when we release it, we'll have the rest of the Sunday slate. Again, all 16 teams play this week. We've got three on Thursday, 13 on Sunday and Monday. So look forward to all of that. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Up the villa. Talk to you all soon. See ya. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 